Do you have an idea for a business, but you don't know what the next step to take? Or do you already have a business and you're ready to level up? Is it really all about the hustle or can you have some work-life balance? On season two of Business Fluent, we talk with entrepreneurs in all stages of their journey. So you can get tips and strategies to avoid the common mistakes and leverage best practices. So you can not only grow a thriving business, but you can live your best life. to season two of Business Fluent. I am Lisa Hudson, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Gallo, and we're really happy to have our guest, Greg Carlin, on today. He is the owner of Play CLE, and he's going to tell us his whole entire life story around oh entrepreneurship. <laughs> so let's start at birth. No. <laughs> oh, I don't think we a... have that much time, Lisa. Oh. <laughs> Boy, there's an age joke right in there, right out of the gate. Well done, Tony. Um, no, serious, seriously, you are one of the entrepreneurs I really admire because you've had lots of different um, trajectories around entrepreneurship. So when you were growing up as a kid, did you think that you would end up uh, as an entrepreneur? Were you one of those kids that was mowing lawns and paper routes? And I, I was. I don't think I knew what it was at that time, though. Like, it didn't really register to me that doing that was a career choice, necessarily. It was more that I think um, I had parents and I had you know, good mentors, particularly sport coaches that just taught discipline and accountability. And that translated into wanting to, you know, earn my own money. It wanted to just be creative in, you know, ways that I could. Um, so it wasn't like a grand plan to go out and be an entrepreneur. I certainly, I, I probably still have trouble spelling it today. I certainly couldn't spell it when I was younger. Um, so let alone understand the meaning behind it. Spell check um, helps with that now. Spell yeah. check helps tremendously. Were you, did you consider yourself a good employee when you were working uh, for somebody else? Sometimes the best entrepreneurs are bad employees. That's why they become an entrepreneur, right? You know, look, I'd, I'd like to think I was a good employee at places that I've worked in the past. Um, um, but I also recognize that I think the bad employee side of me was that I always had the desire to sort of be my own boss. I like the sense of independence and creativity. Um, I like the pressure of decision-making. Um, I, I liked being counted on as part of a team with people. And I think all those things sort of led me towards that sense of being an entrepreneur. Um, I, I'd like to think again that I was a really good employee at places because I soaked it all up. I mean, one of the things I give a ton of credit for is, and I think this is part of like, you know, anybody's journey, right? Um, as much as I'm going to probably overuse that word and, you know, everybody does, but, you know, I think I've soaked up really well, all of the lessons, good and bad that I've learned over the years and tried to apply those, um, even the bad ones. Sometimes those are the best sure. lessons you learn. Well, you know, we talk a lot about entrepreneurial mindset and even if you ultimately aren't going to become a business owner, 
having that mindset of ownership, of being able to make those decisions and be accountable are all great skill sets to have, whether ultimately you're a business owner or you are an employee. So we, we try to instill that mindset in a lot of the training that we do, especially with school-age children, that um, it, it's about that mindset, not necessarily what you do to earn money. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great comment, Lisa. It's one that I think I've struggled with um, over the last couple of years. You know, I, I've, I've probably heard it and read it a thousand times like you guys have in terms of the people who will say, well, act like an owner. Um, and I don't know if that's the really the fair way to sort of describe some of it. I think to me, um, the way I've sort of looked at it is I don't, I don't necessarily want an employee to, to act like an owner. Because, you know, that may be beyond them. I want them to act like it matters to them. And I think that's, the, to me, the, the little switch that happens in there is um, I want the decisions they make. I want the independent um, that they may be or dependent upon, you know, us as a group. I want them to act like they care, like it directly affects them. They don't have to act like me. I think it's just important that they embrace that you know, every action they take is a reflection of who they are. And it's going to be a part of them for the rest of their life that it carries with them. Again, good and bad, just like it has my own experience. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's what makes a great um, manager, boss, owner is someone who does empower that kind of, um, you know, the decision you make may, may not be the exact decision I would make, but if you did it with the best intention, and the best intention for the customer and for the business, you know, we're never going to beat you up about it, you know, that you have that that power. And I think that keeps happy employees and ultimately is the best thing for the customer and the business. So, well, yeah, and I think entrepreneurs have to make those tough decisions regardless, because, you know, uh, whether you have to lay somebody off in order to keep the doors open or keep, you know what I mean? There, especially during COVID, I'm sure there was a ton of uh, hard decisions that you had to make uh, with your multiple businesses. So, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe. And I, I mean, I worked my first job out of um, college was with a small family owned business, and I saw him struggle making payroll. Sometimes I saw him not pay himself um, in order to pay his. Uh, employees and you know he he thought of his employees as like he he felt responsible for all those families whether it was 18 families or 26 families or whatever you know whatever number it was and you know I think that and uh, as an entrepreneur you know that that kind of lands on you and you know so I think some people may not be able to uh, handle that mentally uh, really well but um, you know how how have you come to kind of embrace that? Well, I, I think it's a great point that you make, Tony, in that, um, you know, I was, I felt fortunate that when I was in high school, uh, one of the jobs I had, I was working at a pizza place. And it was a husband and wife that uh, bought one of the franchise locations. This was down in Strongsville. Mm -hmm. um, and there was something about just the way that they included not just me, but many of us that ended up working there were you know, you felt like you were a part of it with them. You weren't just an employee. I don't know if you go as, you know, we're the family of it, but but they made an inclusive environment for the employees around them. And even when they were then going and opening another location in Brexville, 
Um, I got to be a part of that. I got to assist and help. And just the way in which they treated people and the way in which they sort of showed the good and the bad through their eyes. Yeah, they didn't they didn't tell us to act like they would, but they did sort of talk openly or have a level of transparency that has certainly stuck with me. And it's carried me through, you know, years of working with employees where um, I don't mind talking to anybody about where we're really at. You know, the good that's happening with the company, the bad that then the challenges that we take. And I don't make them have the decision because, as you said, ultimately, the decision lies with me. Right. Yeah. But having that level of open communication and transparency um, is really beneficial to people. I, I agree. But, you know, let's back uh, step a minute, Greg. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Play CLE and the business that, that you have um, and um, maybe talk about that story a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I'll try to keep it as relatively short as we can. Um, so, so Play CLE, we are, um, we're a little uh, under two months away from our four-year anniversary, wow. um, which uh, as we were talking offline uh, before we got started here, um, at least the last 18 plus months have actually felt like at least five to 10 years alone. <laughs> so I'm not sure where the math actually lies with it, but we're nearing our four-year anniversary. Um, Play CLE is a indoor adventure park. Um, it was one of the first of its kind really in the country um, where we were taking multiple activities, some that um, were starting to gain some popularity on indoor spaces, others that were traditionally outdoor, like zip lines and rope courses, and we combined it together. And we were really trying to hit on this notion of active entertainment um, where instead of a sedentary and like environment um, for entertainment and or uh, you know bar and dining, you're putting activity in its place. Um, at the time, a lot of the best examples of that were trampoline parks. And they, they served as a really good inspiration of what we wanted to evolve um, the idea of that into something better, something that was more all ages, something that had more activity uh, opportunities to it and really embrace the, the social and group aspect of, um, of that type of environment with the food, with you know, drinking, with event space that um, really catered to a lot of different audiences. So we, uh, we opened up in late 2017. Um, we, I think from day two, um, felt like we, we had an instant connection um, with the audience and the guests that we were looking to sort of reach out to. And through all the ups and downs uh, from that, knew that we had an opportunity to, to expand and continue to build on what we were hoping to be a, a really interesting brand in that sort of entertainment and recreation space. Um, I had plans of grandeur um, way back in 2018, 2019, um, that uh, at this point in time, we'd have a couple of locations. We might even be potentially franchising that out. Um, but the reality of, of the life as a small business hit and no, no more so than, you know, what COVID and the last 18 plus months have been. Um, we were fortunate enough to open our second location, uh, November of 2020. Hmm. We started construction actually in late 19, 2019 of that. And that was down in Columbus. Um, we finally got that opened in November of 2020. So maybe categorically one of the worst possible times in which to open a second location. 
but uh, we're nearing on that that one year mark, which is huge. Um, the enthusiasm for the brand, um, even from potential people who would you know be interested in franchising it, has never died down. Um, we've just completely slowed the process of it because one of the things that has been really important for us is to get our house in order. And, and that has been the biggest challenge we have faced, not only in just these four years, but been the biggest challenge I've had in my entire career. Um, what we've had to go through for COVID, like a lot of others, um, you know, we're not vastly different, but like a lot of others has been nothing short of extraordinary. Yeah, your your industry really any of that kind of entertainment thing took a really hard hit um, due to due to COVID. But when you look back, like in those 2017, and we were talking and doing your your uh, feasibility plan and mm-hmm. what you thought it was going to be, do you feel like that is what it is? Yes. I, I do. I, I, I think we, this is one of those things I, I, I hate actually giving myself any credit at times, you know, so you use that generic we at times. Um, I always wanted a, in a, an environment where the activities could change and evolve, but there was a, there was a vibe or a feeling that we were getting across the guests, you know, one that there's Act, you know, you can be active, you can have fun. Um, we can sort of cater to a variety of demands in terms of an individual guest walking in and the experience they're seeking out up to and including massive large groups that we can kind of build, you know, this fun, interesting experience for. And we've been able to do that. And um, I think to some degree, um, you know, the pandemic has helped sort of shape some of that even um on firmer ground than it had been when we first started, because we've had to sort of really examine who we are and where we fit in the, the, the mindset or zeitgeist of, of a guest. Um, and so it, it has been very reaffirming that, you know, we can, we can create an experience for people. And, and a lot of people will talk about that. And, you know, we have very unique ways in which we, we sort of dissect that internally. Um, and I, and I think there's something to that. The activities are a byproduct of ultimately what somebody's getting. It's the experience they get to have amongst themselves and others that's really important for us. Well, I'm glad you said that, Greg, and you should take the credit because I think from those initial conversations to when I go in there, it's exa- it's the vision that you created for me when we talked about it. So um, you should you should take take the credit for that. So what was, uh, Greg was, doing Columbus easier? Um, or was it like starting from scratch because you were in a different community? Or, I mean, I've driven by it. I was on my way to visit my niece in Dayton and it's right there. It's like, wow, it's right you, got, you got a great location. It's a, it's a beautiful location. And, and to answer your question, um, it was harder and it, it, and it wasn't harder because of the pandemic. I think, um, to some degree, I created false expectations in thinking that, um, I knew all the things that we didn't do right in Cleveland. I had a pretty good idea of the changes we want to do to improve upon it. And we were really focused on those. I, I let up the gas, if you will, um, on all the other things that could have gone wrong. Not remembering that at the end of the day, 
you're never going to be good enough to predict exactly if it's going to rain today or not. Um, you're not going to predict if it's going to snow in October or if there's going to be a terrible winter. You just know that something's going to happen. You have a pretty good idea when that may be or what it might look like. But the, the exact nature of the problems you have, much like the weather, it's just a, it's a guess. And I sort of lost sight of a little bit early on of like, oh, we got this. You know, we've got the template and we're building, we're building on top of that. And the reality is it was all new problems. Um, the, good, the good news is, is, you know, we really sought out in, in our second location there to, to improve it, to make it better. Um, and it wasn't about being bigger, which that facility is. It was really about taking all the learnings that we have and all the failings of the first one and finding ways to sort of make it better. And it'll be fun to do that with the third and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Avon, you retrofitted a, an existing building. Was Columbus built from the ground up? No, same, no, same as same Avon. So okay. retrofitted, retrofitted a, uh, an old warehouse. Okay. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see on a go forward basis. One of the challenges that's going to be faced for us and it's happening out there in the world today is um, this type of space with, with tall ceilings. Um, that type of availability in industrial environments is becoming few and far between. Um, it's probably has one of the lowest, to my knowledge, of uh, uh, vacancy rates in the entire country. And I think it's going to be a really interesting space for us going forward on whether we choose additional locations based upon the availability and where we might land geographically there, um, or if we start to build from the ground up. Is that like 40 foot, 40 foot ceilings? How high is that? Uh, close to. Yeah. So okay. in, uh, yeah, in Cleveland, we're at 35 and then, okay. um, the Columbus location is actually split a little differently. And so we have 36 in, in our high Bay area and then 22 in another space. Got it. I know that was one of the conversations we had, how, how people think like maybe abandoned shopping malls and stuff would be a great space. But the problem is, yeah, it's big enough, but the ceilings aren't high enough. And to raise that, raise the roof, raise the roof, literally, yeah. <laughs> literally um, it can be cost prohibited. And so, um, yeah, I, I remember having that conversation and it, it, it's too bad because you think about all the where maybe on the industrial side, there's not availability, but on the retail side, there's tons of availability. So, yeah, you know, we've had um, it's a it's a great comment, Lisa. We've had we've had a few different uh, property owners, you know, some of some national based, you know, mall groups um, that we've talked with even as recent as a few months ago. And to your point, they are they are nearing desperation and looking at taking some of the old, you know, anchor stores and finding ways to reuse them. And I think one of the advantages is that they're willing to they're willing to commit capital to that type of redevelopment because, yeah, you're talking pretty significant sums of money. Um, we've had a we've had a number of people. I, one of my favorite things is, you know, if I happen to be here on a Friday or Saturday or so and the casual person who, um, you know, will come up to me and say, you know, are you work here or are you a manager or something? I'll say, yeah. And they said, OK, well, yeah, the this person over here said you're the owner. And, you know, how much did this cost to, to, to build? Mm. And uh, it's fascinating to hear people's perspective on that, because um, what typically whatever it is. Keep adding zeros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It never ends, I'm sure. Never ends. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. everyone wants to talk about the bad side effects from COVID, and there are a lot. One of the, the good things is that I do think it has forced people to look at things a little differently. I mean, when we talk to clients and it's shocking pre-COVID, how many weren't even had any kind of digital platform or, or e-commerce capability. It's like, okay, people, it's the 21st century COVID or not, you need to have some e-commerce capabilities. And so it's kind of forcing them to look at those options, whether they wanted to or not. And that's just one example, but I think, think it allowed people to see some of those niches and some of those opportunities that they might not have looked at had it not been for COVID. I, you know, I think we're all forced with that, right. At, at, one point or another, I mean, whether it's for business, whether it's in your personal life, you, you, it's typically through crises that, you know, the best version of yourself or, or even a new version of it sort of emerges. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad to talk about with COVID, um, in, in many, many different directions of it, but yeah, it has forced you to sort of look at yourself and your business and, you know, the people you work with very differently. Um, you know, I've been reflecting on it in Cleveland in that um, just this past Friday, uh, October 8th, um, was one year since we had reopened. Mm-hmm. Um, we had actually tried to reopen a little bit before that in the middle of the summer and the timing wasn't right when the mask mandate came in play and everything. So we were, in effect, closed essentially through, you know, March until beginning of October. And sort of looking back one year on this now, um, it's been, it's been, you know, there's a lot of gratitude that I've had for watching, you know, our team step up and having to sort of put themselves in the face of real crises moments and be able to watch some of them step up and rise to the challenge and see sort of their own personal development. Um, it's extremely gratifying. So there is good to come out of it. You just have to look for it sometimes. I, I know one of the first meetings I think we... Lisa and I were probably at, or I, I just remember having this conversation or hearing this conversation was that, that when major crises like this happen, it, it makes a whole lot of new entrepreneurs because these people who either were working at this particular, you know, industry or for this particular job, it gave them the impetus to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to go back to that. I'm going to finally follow my dream and do X, Y, Z, whatever that dream is. And that, we had anticipated a whole bunch of entrepreneurs coming out. And to be honest with you, I, I think Lisa and I have been 
impressed with the amount of people that are going through the SBDC. I'm impressed with the people who are are joining the chamber as a new business that you know have said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna you know throw caution to the wind. And I don't know if the paycheck protection you know program helped. If some of the dollars that the government kind of handed out to keep people afloat gave them the opportunity to go back to school, get that get that degree, get you know, do whatever it is that they needed in order to kind of throw caution to the wind and open up the business. And I'm hoping the best is still yet to come because we're still not out of this completely. And I think there's still a whole lot of people out there that are are working on their plans for, you know, the new whatever that new is. But mm-hmm. um, I love the way you, you said, you know, you know, uh, working on making something better before your competitors do and before your uh before your customers get bored, you know what I mean? You have to come up with something else. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that probably all of us and, and everybody else who talks about entrepreneurials, you know, that environment or small business ownership. I think the thing we probably all love about it is that it's, they're sort of like snowflakes, right? No two are exactly the same. There's not, there's not a playbook. There are, there are things that we can all talk about. There are things we can teach and coach, um, but there's not the exact playbook that's going to be the same for any of us. And, and, you know, Tony, to, to the comment that you're making, you know, I think everybody who sort of gets down that path, they have to find what firm or solid ground looks like to them before they get into that spot, because you have to feel like you've sort of fortified your base and then you make that jump, mm-hmm. you know, and my version of it might be different than yours and definitely is going to, and it's going to be different than Lisa's. Um, and you know, that all looks differently. Probably a lot of people, if even, you know, just listening to myself talk about it right now, a lot of people probably think that's just all about money. Um, typically that's the furthest thing from it. It's really about making sure that you have the personal and professional foundation to just feel comfortable with the uncertainty that's going to come like that, that to me is the fun part. And yeah, Lisa, I'm going to stop so you can ask. No, I was just going to say, but please entrepreneurs don't like to talk about the money. So the money's really important. The financials are really important. (laughs) The the financials are extremely important. Right. And I, 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 I still wonder why we're in 2021 and that's a mystery to anybody. You know, um, thinking that Greg, all the business owners I talk to, it's the exception that the business owner or entrepreneur wants to have those discussions. Like they all want, like when they come to see me, they all want this beautiful narrative of their business plan and to tell the story. And that part's great. And then I bring out the Excel spreadsheet with the financial projections and it's like, holy crap. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, but you don't even know if th- this beautiful story is going to make any money, you know, or like they don't know their cost of goods. Like, so how do you know how to price your product if you don't know that? And it is a constant battle. And I always am the bad guy because that's kind of my area that I work with a lot of clients. And um, and so I have to say, I'm probably not the f- favorite advisor on the SBDC team. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 tried and true. I mean, you don't want to call it the most important thing because 
I think it's a, it, you know, categorically, it's one A, B, C, D. You know, there's a lot of very important or most important things. Um, understanding your financials, even when you know you're going to be a hundred percent wrong in something, just having the sense to be able to walk into it and having shown the discipline to like think constructively about, you know, the the performance of this business and what that means. Um, it's the greatest exercise that anybody can go through. Um, you know, my, my, my chief operating officer here at play, Brian, um, as he and I have looked at anything, whether we've looked at other businesses, whether we've talked about opening new plays, whether we're talking about making a capital investment, um, just for existing business and something new, the financials and building a model is one of the very first things we do. And I don't think we've ever gotten to it without doing 10, 12 versions of it because we beat it up constantly. No, and that's it's, awesome to hear because, like I said, most people don't want wanted to talk about it. And I always say you don't have to be a CPA, but you have to know how to look at your financials to guide your decisions. Like they should be looked at and you make decisions based on where those financials are. And even if you do something crazy that maybe goes against what your financials tell you, at least, you know, you're doing something crazy, right. And you're taking a crazy chance. So, um, yeah, so I'll pay you later for plugging the financial. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here, let me go one step further so I can double down on that payment. Um, <laughs> I, I, I also think, you know, People don't take advantage of resources that can be free to them. And there are so many places where conversations are free. And Lisa, that's how you and I met years ago is because we were able to get connected and I had enough humility, I hope, to be able to come in front of you and be like, hey, I got this, you know, crazy whacked out idea. Um, I did have some financials and like, let's beat this up. Um, and so I look, I get people's hesitation on it. You know, it's, it's, it's showing a side of yourself, even if you're not very confident in it, but you're not there to judge. You're there to actually help and improve and coach. And I think people need to be able to put that in the proper perspective. You can't get better at something unless you have a coach and coaches come in all shapes and sizes and forms. And there's a lot of really good free resources to be a small business owner where that coaching is available to people. And, yes. and they got to have the, again, they got to have the humility to just take that step to reach out. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, yeah, there are over 900 SBDCs uh, across the country. So that's small business development centers. There's women business centers, there's scores. So um, I think a lot of times people think that they're going to have to pay big money for um, a business coach or advisor, but start start with your free resources and we'll get you to the point and we'll let you know when it's time to pay for more expertise. So um, um, thank, thanks for uh, mentioning the SBDC. Hey. Right? So to shift gears a little bit, you know, it's amazing. Like any, if you're on any of the social media sites and you go to any of the entrepreneur sites, they're all about the hustle, the grind and that whole hustle culture and and, um, and I get it because, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't for the, the lazy, right? So, but I also think um, we've just become that just work, 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 work. And how do you find work-life balance? Uh, you know, yeah, or the sound, 
<laughs> the, the soundbite is no. What balance? Um, I, I think the reality is yes. It can be really difficult. Um, it is challenging as a business owner to to shut it off, and you have to be as intentional about that as you are anything else. Um, I don't think you can necessarily shut it off all the time. I think the balance is important. Um, for a couple of years, um, one of the things that was probably one of my greatest releases um, was that I was continuing to coach soccer. And so outside of work, it was something that forced me to sort of put the phone away, walk away from the office at times. Um, and I'll talk about this endlessly, but I've learned more lessons about my business and about working with my colleagues and managing people. I've learned more about it on a soccer field being a coach than I probably have just about anywhere else because the lessons are very transferable. Um, and so here I was soaking something in that was a good release for me, but also has direct applicability in the way in which I um, work with you know, people around me. Um, and so it was really, it was really good. Um, I think the, I think the other, you know, part of sort of this work-life balance is, um, you've got to find a way in, in, in the mounds of crap sometimes that you have to deal with, you got to find the ways to, to still have fun at, at it. Um, maybe I'm lucky because I, I work in an environment <laughs> that we're intended to have fun constantly. Um, but you know, one of the things as a, as a leader is that I can, you know, I can measure and read the room pretty well of how my people are, are feeling. And when they look like they're stressed and they may be having something personal that they're bringing in the office, part of my job is to, to be able to show them what that work-life balance is. Um, we were just talking about one of the next outings that we're going to have um, because it's really important for me to be able to get everybody to do it, not just me. You know, and and. I don't know what the right answer is with it. I just know it's something that um, ultimately you got to be really intentional about. If you were talking to someone and they said, I'm starting a business, Greg, what kind of, what, what advice? Is there a tip or trick that you would tell them, make sure you do X or? Oh, um, if we're wrapping up, we don't have nearly the amount of time, <laughs> of course, of it. Um, you know, if I was choosing, if I'm choosing one today, um, cause I think there's, there's many tips to go through, but you know, one that's very important to me is I, I think you do have to go out there and talk your idea around a lot. Um, it almost goes back to that notion we were saying earlier that, you know, your idea isn't necessarily new, you know, and you can't treat it as sort of a state secret necessarily. There's a certain amount of protection depending on, you know, particular situations. But in reality, the more you go out there and verbalize it and contextualize it and talk on different aspects of the business with, with friends, with your family, with, you know, free resources that are out there with, People you reach out to on LinkedIn just because you want to buy them a beer or a cup of coffee and want to bend their ear, the more you do it, the more perspective you're going to gain. Um, what, I, what I like about the notion of that, it, it, it really reinforces the notion of sort of active or attentive listening. It's, 
it's really hard when you commit yourself to sort of being an entrepreneur that there's a certain resolve you have to build where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm committed to my idea. I'm committed to the purpose. I'm going to go down this path and I'm not going to necessarily let bumps in the road deviate me or people who are naysayers pull me off of that. And at the same time, you have to be open to other, other viewpoints and perspectives. And you can do both of those things, but you have to seek it out. And you have to be sort of open to taking, you know, what could be, what you hope is constructive criticism. Um, it's hard to do, you know, I'm yeah, sure. especially yeah. when it's your baby, right? So, yeah. you know, and um, we, we encourage people to do that market research, to talk to someone other than your mom, right? Because, <laughs> you know, if they're like my mom, no matter what I said, it's the greatest idea in the world, right? So, of course. Um, so yeah, no, I think, I think that's that's great advice. And because ultimately, if you don't have someone who's willing to pay for your product or service at the end, it doesn't matter how good of an idea it is. <laughs> it's right. You know, and look, those of us who are on the other side of it, right, that might be the ones who have started something, some successfully, some not so successfully, right? We all have sort of our, our stories and such with it. 99% of us are willing to take the time to sit down with people and have that conversation. Um, I was in front of a, a group of students from Ohio university a few weeks ago. And I, you know, I told every one of them, here's my cell number. Like if you have something you want to talk about, you want to just talk about your college career and what you're going to do, or you want to talk about an idea, like here you are. Like I, I love making the time because quite frankly, um, some of the ideas that I get, are based upon those conversations. I I probably get as much from, you know, meeting new people and and just listening to their story as much as I do if I'm seeking it out myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's great. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Greg, so much for your time. And anybody who's in Cleveland or Columbus or passing through and wants a really fun adventure, please go to Play CLE or Play CBUS. CBUS. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's awesome. It's definitely um, uh, worth the time and money to go and visit and have some fun. Thanks, Thanks Craig. I think it's, it was great talking to you. Great seeing you again. We look forward to uh, having a chamber event out there uh, sometime soon. Looking forward to it. And yeah, Tony and Lisa, thank you so much. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, 
or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.